I give a number of uh, speeches at goal conferences throughout the year, and I found that the questions I was being asked today are almost identical to the questions I was asked back in the late 70s and early 80s. Always had investors ask me, should I buy gold? And so I decided to take a closer look at the motivation behind the reason to buy gold. I came up with something that I found relatively interesting. And we've got those interesting reasons people buy gold today on Your Money, Your Wealth, as Peter Hug from Kitco describes the four types of people that buy precious metals, how to best buy and sell silver and gold for yourself, and whether these commodities are similar to cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and blockchain. Joe and Big Al talk permanent versus term life insurance and how Roth recharacterizations for 2017 may be affected by upcoming tax reform. And we've got holiday gift ideas to transform the quality of life for the retirees in your life. They get new tech, and you get your third grade report card and high school letterman's jacket. Happy holidays! Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. So, I know you're just chomping at the bit to talk about um, this every week now, the, the updates on Taxes. The tax reform. Oh my goodness, this is a uh, fluid situation, I, I think you could say. Before we dive in, I want to I wanna give you guys a caution that we sort of decided was prudent to consider this last week with our clients. And that is, if you've been listening to our show, we've been advising and telling you to consider Roth conversions. Right? You take some money out of your IRA, you convert it to a Roth IRA. Of course, you pay taxes on what you convert, but then that money ends up in a tax-free account, and all future growth income principal is tax-free. So it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people to do that. We've also told you on this show, which is, by the way, current tax law, that you can recharacterize it or undo the Roth conversion all the way till you file your tax return in the following year. And there's a few reasons why we did that is because you needed to get the Roth IRA conversion converted into the Roth IRA before December 31st. So it's a taxable event in the given year. But you don't necessarily know how much that you should convert in some cases, depending on your income. So the tax law allowed you until the tax filing deadline of October 15th of the following year to see if you wanted to keep it recharacterized, do a partial recharacterization. So for instance, let's say if you wanted to convert some money to the top of the 25% tax bracket and you're married. And so that number is roughly about $150,000. Right. So that's your target. You're trying to do enough Roth conversion to get to 150. Right. It, you don't want to go more because then that would push you up into a higher tax bracket. Yeah. And then your accountant prepares the return and your taxable income is 160. Right. It's like, ooh, that's too much. Right. And now you could recharacterize $10,000 and get back to 150, just where you want it to be. So there was, the planning was, you know, you would kind of look at your return and, you know, spitball it a little bit. And then you would convert. But sometimes you might get a bonus at the end of the year. There could be some other things that happen if you're a small business owner. Who knows? Um, So you could always clean it up. You could get it to the exact amount the following year. However, and and that's why we would always over-convert just because, hey, we can clean this up next year. I'd rather over-convert than under-convert because you want to maximize the amount of money that you can get into a tax-free environment every single year because there's only so many calendar years until you retire, right? right. And, that, and that was a good, I think, generally a good strategy, because if you under-converted, if your taxable income ended up, ended up to be 140000 you couldn't add another ten, Right. Because you had to do it by December 31st of the prior year. So if you over-convert, you can always pull some back. And so now the tax law, I mean, there's no tax law. The, the, the tax bill. The bill. They're taking away Roth recharacterizations. 
So in other words, in the future, starting in 2018, you can no longer recharacterize a Roth or undo a Roth conversion. In other words, it's irrevocable. You do a Roth conversion and you cannot undo it. That's what's in the tax bill. Now, this is not law right now. And here's the problem. The problem is what we know for sure is that if it passes in some kind of form as it is right now, then 2018 Roth conversions you cannot recharacterize. But here's the concern is if you did a Roth conversion this year in 2017, you may not be able to recharacterize even that in 2018. So we actually, with all of our clients that we felt converted a little bit too much or that we had strategies to even do a couple Roth IRAs, invest them differently, keep the one that's higher. We actually are doing our recharacterizations right now in the month of December because there's too much uncertainty whether the recharacterizations are going to be available next year. So if you've been listening to our show and you've been converting Roth IRAs, I'm telling you right now, you got to look at your situation. It's too risky because we don't know what's going to happen. And if you recharacterize right now in December, yes, you missed a few months of potential growth and, and the ability to make a better decision, but at least you haven't converted too much, right? right? So it's going to require some of you to sit down with your accountant or TurboTax, do a tax projection, look at the Roth conversion that you already did and, and make your best guesstimate, if you will, as to what you should have as a conversion and recharacterize the rest right now before December 31st. Right, because a lot of you um, that listen to this program like to do your own financial planning. Sure. You know, so you listen to us to get a couple of tidbits. But the problem with that sometimes is that, you all right, well, you hear a strategy and you think, okay, this applies to me and it might not apply at all to you. Uh, but And then you do it and then there's no adult supervision no offense to anyone, but in, in cases like this, all of a sudden next year, it's like, okay, it's time to recharacterize. And it's like, well, you can't do it. And it's like, oh, I'm stuck. You know, now I have to pay a little bit larger tax bill. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, t to me, you got the money in the Roth, you pay a little bit of tax, you got that much more in the Roth and move on. Uh, but if, if you're very concerned with this, then we suggest that you absolutely take a look right now to see, hey, if I did a Roth IRA conversion, how much did I convert? What do, because it's closer to the end of the year, you can kind of dial in a little bit more of what your income is going to be now, right? Yeah, you can get a better estimate right it, now. Right. And then you say, okay, well, maybe I did a little bit too much. And then you just do a partial recharacterization or recharacterize the whole thing. It's up to you. This is right. So we're just giving you some information of what we feel is probably the most best practice um, in, in right. we're a conservative group. Right. And and by the way, this we're just being cautious here. The, I hate to act when it's just a tax bill. Right. It's not even law. So we really don't know. It's just to me, there's too much risk that this will actually happen. And if it does happen, it could be that 2017 Roth conversions you cannot recharacterize in 2018, which is why we're having our clients do recharacterizations right now in this month of December. And so and it's the same law with 401k. So if you've ever converted your 401k to a Roth 401k, so you did an interplan conversion, uh, those are irrevocable. You cannot um, recharacterize those. And so now they're just pushing it over to the Roth IRA. So it's... Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, um, but it is what it is. It is what it is. And so huh? now it's just for future Roth conversions, you're probably going to have to dial in your number a little bit better and do more sophisticated tax planning it, than just kind of, hey, let's just throw 
you know, some money in a Roth. And, yeah, because we can always pull it back Yeah, because later. we can always undo so it. So if this law goes through, then then in future years, that's right, Joe, you're going to want to be more careful on your Roth conversions. And this is a bit unusual to have a tax law that's going to affect potentially so many things. And like I said, I hate to act in advance of this passing, but to me, there's too much risk. If you did a Roth conversion and you feel like you don't want to keep all or part of it, now would be the best time to recharacterize it. All right, we'll stick around. I think the 22nd is the vote, That's December 22nd. That's what they're 22nd. planning on. That's what they're planning yeah. on? Yes. They, uh, they, right before Christmas. So uh, stay tuned. As of this recording, the House and Senate have agreed on a final tax bill, and it may become law before the end of the year. No question about it, tax reform is going to affect us all. How will it change your strategies for retirement account contributions, distributions, conversions, and recharacterizations? What about collecting Social Security, withdrawal rates, estate planning, charitable giving? Make an appointment right away to find out before the end of the year, which is just days away now. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click free assessment. Call 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Find out what strategies make the most sense for you in retirement. There are three ways to make your free, no-obligation appointment. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click free assessment. Call 888-994-6257 or email info at purefinancial.com. Uh, Big Al, it's that time of the show. Uh, that it is, Joe. And today we've got somebody that knows a lot about a topic that we don't know a lot about. So we're going to ask some questions. Yeah, you have a gold chain on. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my knowledge, <laughs> my gold chain. Uh, we got Peter Hogg on, on the line from Kitco. Uh, he's been in uh, the precious metals since, what, 1974. Wow. So when you think of gold, precious metals, you know, there's a lot of commercials that you hear on the radio. And so we wanted to get the the best expert yeah, in like, gold. But yeah, like what's what's the real story, uh, Peter? Who? Why should we consider buying gold? Yeah, let's welcome Peter first, Big Al. He's all <laughs> he's excited. He's wondering. He wants to sell his gold chain. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure being here. So, t- uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, and then we can dive in um, a little bit more about uh, the specifics of gold and why people want to buy it or should buy it and things like that. Okay. I graduated from uh, University of Toronto back in 73, uh, got into the financial field in the foreign exchange side in 74. That's where I cut my teeth. Worked for, uh, at that time, the uh, largest uh, global retail dealer in foreign exchange, a company called Deke Pereira, and uh, they had offices in some 40 countries around the world, and I was in charge of their uh, Canadian desk uh, trading uh, corporate foreign exchange. In 76, I moved over to a financial institution called Guardian Trust uh, that was also a foreign exchange dealer in the province of Quebec, uh, but they, were, they also had a precious metals component. So we developed a precious metals desk uh, in around 78 uh, for Guardian out of Toronto, and uh, we're fortunate enough to catch that first bull run in gold uh, where gold moved up to 850 and silver moved up to $50 for the first time and uh, have been in and in and around the precious metals uh, market for the past 40 years. I joined Kitco in uh, 2010. Uh, They had a staff of uh, some 220 people, and uh, they were the largest online retailer of uh, precious metals at the time, and uh, the owner of the company uh, uh, needed some support in uh, in developing uh, their precious metals uh, division. And uh, so I joined them in 2010, uh, sort of pulled me out of retirement, and uh, been there ever since. Yeah, so let's let's get into it, Peter. So why should people consider buying gold? 
you know, I don't want to be one of these uh, these analysts that says gold's going to ten thousand dollars an ounce, and you've always got to own gold. I mean, gold uh, is as good as or as bad as any investment. It really depends on timing, and it depends on the motivation of why you want to be in the market. Uh, what I did was uh, I, I give a number of uh, speeches at gold conferences throughout the year, and um, I've always had investors ask me, should I buy gold? And so I decided uh, about a year ago to take a closer look at the motivation uh, behind the reason to buy gold. I came up uh, w- with something that I found relatively interesting. I found that the questions I was being asked today are almost identical to the questions I was asked back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, and it really, then I tried to figure out, well, what, what was the psychology behind people wanting to buy gold? And, and I think I was able to break it down into, into four groups. And uh, I'll just sort of name the groups, and, and the names are just things I made up. But, uh, um, but, but they seem to be fairly consistent throughout the last 40 years in the gold market. The first group, and again, I've yet to come up with a proper name for them, but I would call them uh, sort of the... Uh, uh, and again, I don't want to insult anyone, but more like sort of the end-of-worlders that, that have uh, bought into the concept that the uh, financial system is an imminent collapse. And uh, although those stories are prevalent, uh, were prevalent in 2008 and continue to be prevalent, they were just as prevalent in 79 and 80 when we had inflation at 18%. Um, and this group is influenced by analysts uh, that think the financial system is going to collapse, that you're going to need gold in barter form, um, to be able to survive uh, the apocalypse of uh, government intervention and government confiscation of your gold. And uh, it, it sounds like a fringe group, but it isn't. Uh, it, it's, it, they truly believe that the financial system is, in, uh, is at major risk, and they want to hold physical gold uh, to uh, mitigate uh, the, the apocalypse when it comes. And they take a sizable portion of the gold market uh, – physical market off the market on a continuous basis, and they tend to be long-term holders. Uh, they're not concerned about the price. They'll pay 1200 1500 1900 uh, Their aim is to, uh, they believe that gold will go to ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 an ounce, and, they, and they'll need the gold for barter. The second group that I, uh, that I sort of identified was what I, again, uh, named the conservative investor, the ones that are influenced uh, by analysts that suggest you should hold a percentage of your assets in gold as a uh, as, as protection against the balance of your portfolio, uh, they tend uh, to be not as concerned about holding gold uh, with financial institutions. Uh, they are engaged in the ETF market, mutual funds, mining shares, uh, and also the physical market. Um, the analysts that suggest you hold a percentage of your assets in gold. Um, never really complete the thought process. Uh, You know, it's one thing to tell people to buy 10% of their assets in gold, but gold is, again, as an Apple stock is or as your real estate is, it's a portion of your portfolio that needs to be calibrated and balanced at least every six months. And why I think that's important and uh, where analysts miss the point when they tell people to hold a percentage of their assets in gold is if your aim was to hold 10% of your assets in gold, let's say in 2008 when gold was trading at uh, roughly $700 an ounce, in 2011 gold was trading at $1,900 an ounce. Everything else being relatively equal, uh, the portion of your t- of your gold uh, portfolio would not have been 10%, probably would have looked more like 18% of your portfolio. At that point, you have to liquidate 8%. 
Vice versa, had you gotten in at $1,900 uh, in 2011 and in uh, December of 2010 when gold was at 1050 uh, your portfolio probably would not have been holding 10% of gold. It would have been probably holding anywhere between 4 and 6% of gold. At that point, you need to buy that percentage to bring it back to 10. You need to balance that portfolio if, you're, if your aim is to hold it at 10%. What that'll do is it'll help you liquidate gold into strength and buy gold into weakness. The third group is what I call the trader. They have no loyalty to the market. They're strictly in it for capital gains. Uh, they could be bullish at 9 o'clock in the morning and bearish at 9.01 in the morning. And they're looking for vehicles that have the closest calibration to the gold price. They tend to trade in the futures markets, uh, options markets, sometimes in the ETF market, but they're in and out traders, the same as they would be with, uh, with stocks. The fourth group, uh, which I really don't call investors, uh, but they do take a sizable offtake of the physical market uh, on an annual basis, uh, and I call them the collectors. And these are individuals that buy uh, either medallions or coins that are made by sovereign mints that uh, are not really considered in the category of bullion coins, uh, but have themes attached to them. Could be, you know, Superman coins, Darth Vader coins, uh, could be a collection of airplane designed coins. And people think they're cool. Uh, they buy them. The premiums tend to be uh, fairly exorbitant to the intrinsic metal value. Uh, but they think they're cool. They come in gift boxes and they usually end up in somebody's drawer. And somewhere down the road, uh, when that person uh, tends to. Uh, depart uh, their kids, find these things, and they just sell them into the market. So uh, I don't consider them good investments from uh, a perspective of appreciation because of the high premium you pay, but the, it does uh, constitute a fairly large percentage of offtake of the physical market on an annual basis. So what do you recommend? Is buying bars the best way to go, or is there other ways to buy gold? Uh, well, again, it really depends. Uh, it depends on, on where, where your comfort level is. If, if you're in Group 1, you're, not going to, you're going to want to buy bars. Uh, group 1 takes, tends to take delivery. They don't trust uh, storage accounts with dealers. Uh, they want the actual gold at home. They bring it home. They either put it under their mattress or they hide it somewhere, and that's how they're comfortable. Uh, my personal feeling is if, I'm, uh, if I like gold, uh, uh, my, my main caveat, other than protection, uh, would be that I want uh, the best chance for capital, uh, a capital gain. In that context, I want to buy gold at the closest to the gold price that's available. So my tendency, uh, again, I'm, I'm not as concerned about the collapse of the system, but my tendency would be to be more oriented towards uh, leveraged vehicles such as the futures market and the options market and possibly the ETF market depending on what the carry cost is uh, uh, you know on on the on the product so again it depends on where your psychology is if, if you want to buy physical gold uh, it's available in sizes ranging from one gram which is a 32nd of an ounce all the way up to 400 ounce standard bars which is the bars you saw in the uh, old James Bond Goldfinger movie and um, you can take uh, delivery or you can have dealers uh, offer you allocated storage where the gold is held off balance sheet from the dealer so there's no credit risk to the dealer and it's held in your name. And the storage fees are relatively uh, incidental. Uh, they'll range anywhere from a quarter to a half a percent per annum on the value of the gold that you're storing. 
Visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for articles like Gold Rush, Investment or Speculation, and educational video clips like How Much of My Portfolio Should Be in Gold. While you're there, download our free Retirement Readiness Guide, which contains little-known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime, making the most of your investing strategy in retirement, controlling your taxes, and so much more. You'll learn seven plays to help you get retirement ready despite all these uncertainties we face. It's all in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here with Big Al Clopine. We're talking to Peter Hug from Kitco. Go to kitco.com. We're talking gold. So my dad, he's he's collected coins for years. And, and I think it, there, part of it was just owning precious metals. But a, a big part of it was he just enjoyed it, just like you said. And I think, exactly prob- right. I think probably a lot of our listeners have coins. And when you get to a point where you do want to sell them, I think you're right. There's, you paid such a premium. How, how do you sell them and, and not get ripped in terms of a price back to you? Yeah, or what's the worst place to either buy or sell? I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of TV commercials or radio commercials. How big of a premium are some of these dealers selling this stuff at? And is the consumer even aware of what the markups are? Well, you know, again, it's it's a relatively easy exercise to compare uh, dealer pricing. There's actually websites that actually have comparative pricing where if you uh, punched in one uh, best price for one-ounce gold eagles, uh, it'll come up and it'll pop up the, the five best dealers that are priced in the market for one-ounce gold eagles. So it's relatively easy to determine, uh, you know, where uh, who's, who, who's uh, the most competitive. Uh, what the uh, what your listeners need to understand is that when they see the price of gold quoted to them, you know whether it's on CNBC or whether it's in the Wall Street Journal, that's what that price is quoted for. What is called a standard bar, and in gold, a standard bar is a 400 ounce bar. In silver, it's a thousand ounce bar. And the rule of thumb is the smaller the unit from that standard bar size, the more expensive the premium relative to the price. So just to give you an example, a one a 400-ounce gold bar, if gold was trading right now, it's close enough, it's trading at $1,250, you can buy a 400-ounce gold bar very close to $1,250 an ounce. If you bought a one-ounce gold bar, you would pay a premium of anywhere between $10 and $25 over $1,250, depending on which dealer you go to. If you were buying a coin, use the American Eagle as an example, they tend to trade somewhere about three and a half to four percent over the gold price. So twelve fifty plus four percent, you'd be looking at about another fifty dollars. So you'd be paying about thirteen hundred dollars for an American Eagle, and it's relatively easy to shop that. When you do have the coins, though, what's the best way to get rid of them and get the best price? Same thing. Uh, I, I would go to a uh, to an online dealer, one that that has uh, you know some long uh, longevity to them. Uh, at least five years, that would be my recommendation. And uh, dealers on their websites will show you not only offer prices, but also bid prices. So if you've got a one-ounce gold eagle that you're looking to sell, uh, you can go uh, selling one-ounce gold eagle. A comparative price uh, uh, website will come up, and you'll be able to see who's bidding the highest for a one-ounce gold eagle. So what's the difference from gold and silver in regards to purchasing it? Exactly the same. All dynamics are exactly the same for uh, silver as they are for gold. You can buy uh, silver ETFs, you can buy physical bars, you can buy coins. Uh, The most popular silver coins are the American Eagle, the Royal Canadian Mint Silver Maple Leaf, uh, the Australian Kangaroo. 
the British uh, Royal Mint uh, Britannica uh, coin. Those are the four most popular silver coins. Uh, gold, you have the gold eagle, the gold buffalo, the gold maple leaf, uh, also the Australian gold kangaroo, and also the gold Britannica. Those, those are the five most popular gold coins. Bars, the most popular size of bars are one ounce, 10 ounce, and uh, for some of the larger investors, uh, kilo bars, uh, which are 32.147 ounces of gold. Uh, that's, uh, that a kilo bar is one of the primary products that are sold into the Far East, into the Chinese market. The Chinese love kilo bars. So, and in, in that range, you have fractional coins. You can go down to a 10th ounce eagle coin. You can go down to a one gram gold wafer. So there's, there's a variety of products you can buy from that'll, that'll meet your psych, uh, the psychology of why you're investing. So with that second group of individuals that want a certain um, allocation to gold, um, would you then recommend probably just a, a gold or silver ETF or or physical gold? And but uh, that'd be pretty hard to continue to rebalance. You know, you'd, you'd have to go to the shed and dig wanna, it up. I'll sell half a bar to you. Wait, <laughs> cut it in half. Get my treasure trove out. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my point. Again, if you fall in group number one, you're going to go with the physical product because uh, you're not looking to rebalance. You're just looking to hold gold. Uh, if you're looking uh, to hold a percentage of your gold uh, in as uh, protection against your assets and you have no fear of the system, I mean, you're not worried about holding an ETF and you're not worried about holding a mining share or, or a mutual fund, uh, I think that would be a better way to make an allocation towards gold uh, as a portion of your overall portfolio. Well, this is all a, a, a big belief system, I, I think, with everything else. And, and what's really popular now is, you know, the blockchain in, in, in Bitcoin. It has some similarities there. Would, would you agree? No, I think Bitcoin's a little different. I, I mean, Bitcoin, first of all, is not... Uh, I, I, can't, I can't come up with a value on Bitcoin that, that makes any sense. I mean, I can come up with a value on gold uh, based on, uh, you know, what the production cost is, what supply demand is. I mean, I can... I can generate enough fundamental information on the gold market to come up with a educated guess as to whether or not I think the gold market is cheap or expensive at certain prices. So I think there's enough data there to be able to make an educated uh, assumption, whereas with Bitcoin, I have absolutely no clue. I mean, you know, one day it's at 13,000 uh, this morning on one of the overnight on one of the exchanges that hit 19 and now it's trading at 15,000. Uh, I, I don't have enough data to be able to make a, a reasonable assessment as to the logic of Bitcoin. But gold does have history, and that's one thing Bitcoin does not have. Um, you know, gold, um, you, can ha you have very strong imperial evidence, empirical evidence on what happens to the price of gold when certain things happen in the market, i.e. 2008, uh, i.e. Um, wars, um, uh, financial crises, uh, inflation. So, you know, there's a, there's a number of parameters that when certain things happen within the economic system, you can see the direct correlation to what happens to the price of gold. So there is empirical evidence that you can then justify your, I should be in this market or I should be out of this market and I should be into this market by the uh, uh, X percentage as opposed to being out of the market. So it's different in that sense. Peter, great stuff. Hey, where can uh, people get more information on you, your firm, and, and get more educated on, on this topic? 
Yeah, one one thing I wanted to say, and, I, and this isn't, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not promoting Kitco, but uh, you know, having been in this business, uh, you know, since the uh, the mid '70s, what I found extremely intriguing about Kitco is the site, which is Kitco.com, and the reason I bring that up is most most dealers don't have informational sites. You know, they, they put up their products and they put up their promotions and, 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 and they're basically in the business to sell gold. If you read Kitco.com, it, it is a, and we have a Chinese wall between our media division and our metals division, Kitco.com is probably the most incisive uh, news site for precious metals that I've run across. So people that are new to the game, or even people that are, are well-established in the gold market. Uh, the commentaries that are posted on Kitco.com, and first of all, these commentaries are not posted by employees of Kitco. I do post a blog every day, but 99.9% .9 of the blogs are totally outside analysts. So we're unique in the sense that we're a company that posts news and analysis on the precious metals markets that is sometimes bearish and sometimes bullish, and sometimes you'll get three people that are bullish and three people that are bearish on the same site. And I think it's a great tool to educate yourself on what makes the market move and, and uh, you know, other analysis on the precious metals markets. So that would be my recommendation is to at least read Kitco.com to become aware of of the market, and then if you do decide to pull the trigger, you have the option of buying the metal from Kitco, or you can go to another dealer, but at least you can get the information on our site. So that's Kitco.com. That's Peter Hogg, folks. we got to take a short break. That was awesome. We'll be right back. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Visit YourMoneyYourWealth.com to download riveting interviews, get our podcast newsletter, watch clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, and take advantage of a huge learning center full of webinars, articles, white papers, and much more, including our Retirement Readiness Guide. All free gifts for you from YourMoneyYourWealth.com. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format this week what to buy recent retirees to transform their quality of life i got a different kind of list today joe this right. is uh, because we got the holidays coming up okay got hanukkah christmas kwanzaa yes yes so to be politically correct got it all. i say holidays and uh, as a consequence a lot of people want to buy gifts for their loved ones and and Maybe you have a parent that's recently retired or maybe that's been retired a long time. And maybe they, it's like they kind of have what they need. What do, I, what do I get them? So this is just gifts for retirees? This is what to buy recent retirees to transform their quality of life. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> so this is what you can do for your mom, Joe. Uh, okay. Because she's buying a home, right? Yes. Okay. Now, this first one is too late for you and your mom, but uh, it says more Americans want to downsize their homes rather than buy larger homes, uh, and that may be even harder for seniors, but there's help for that. The National Association of Senior Move Managers uh, is, uh, provides services for decluttering and moving senior citizens out of their homes. Huh. And that, to me, that's one of the biggest complaints I hear, even my parents. And we have this quandary, which is they have four storage units. When are they ever going to get to them? 
And but here's a service that will help you. Yeah, but it's it's not necessarily the physical act of doing it to say, oh, I, I got it. It's them going through all. I know that, that stuff. is the problem. But here's here's the thing though. Here's where it's helpful is if you've got some strong people to go through all your stuff, and you can say, keep goodwill, throw away. Yeah, but they're going to say, well, no, I can't throw that out. Keep, keep, keep. Right, because my mom just did that. Yeah. Uh, So she closes on um, her little retirement home (laughs) um, next month. Yeah. And so over the past several months, I think we decided to do this, I don't know, maybe five months ago, over the summer, maybe in June. And... It, it, it's it's been a process. It's a process. You know, it's so, like, so I, my, it, my father passed, what, now seven, eight years ago, but, you know, throwing away his clothes or I goodwill, know. and then you see the pictures, and then you get this. So that's why she sent me, like, bins of stuff. <laughs> of stuff? I, I have a report card from my um, like elementary school. So when you write your memoirs, I'm like, you mom, why, why are you sending me this? I don't need like trophies. Yes, from like third grade. I'm like, <laughs> no. She's like, well, I can't throw that out. Right, right. The only thing I liked, I got my letter check, yeah. letterman's check. Oh, that's per- that's good. Yeah. Well, I have a solution for your mother. Okay. You can give her this uh, this uh, book called "The Life Changing Magic of Tidying Up." It, it's a book on decluttering by the Japanese author Marie Kondo. Okay. Uh, and it talks in depth about purging possessions that don't bring you joy and living a more organized, minimalist lifestyle. Perfect. So, you, you read that first. Okay. And then you hire these people to help you go through your clutter. Got it. Which, by the way, can cost 50 to 125 bucks an hour, so it's not exactly cheap. And a, and a full house might, take, might, might be up to 4,000 bucks. But if you're if you're stuck, yeah. it's 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 an approach. Hoarders. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. seen that show? Borders? Hoarders. Oh hoarders, no. You've never seen hoarders? No. I don't watch as much TV as you oh do. Oh my god, I don't watch <laughs> it's why, why would I watch show a hoard, show on hoarding? Deb, you've seen hoarders. Of course everyone that's listening have seen hoarders. <laughs> well, I haven't. Well because you're a special person, Alan. <laughs> I, I don't watch anything hardly, except you know what Anne said. I want to watch some sappy Hallmark movies, so I watched two of them in the last two ni- three nights. Oh, there you go. So I the story about a doctor that moved up to Alaska and had some trouble with the cold and but oh, okay. fell in love. All right, yeah, yeah good stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm yeah. I'm watching happy stuff. Yeah. I don't care about hoarding. Okay, so uh, here's another thing you can do uh, for your senior is find them a handyman for repairs around their house, and this. Again, I'll, I'll kind of bring up my parents. It's like things break in their condo in Oregon. It's like, we don't know what to do. And they're so used to doing everything themselves. I think that was the mentality of that generation. And, and we actually did. We hired a repair person for them. <laughs> and it's like... It cost, Schneider. What, yeah, Schneider. It cost whatever, 100 bucks, and they got their toilet fixed, and they got their whatever, right? 24-7 on call? No. Whatever you want, right? Living, yeah, you could a, a living handyman. Well, they don't have an extra bedroom. That's probably but... what my mom wants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on to technology. All right. Okay, because it turns out that uh, seniors are becoming increasingly competent on technology uh, today. About forty-two percent of uh, people sixty-five years and older own a smartphone. That's up twenty-four percent from just two thousand thirteen. All right. And I know that's true because my dad now owns a smartphone. Now, he doesn't know what to do with it, but he's got a smartphone. 
and uh, and it says that uh, let's see something like 50 67 percent of seniors actually use the internet 51 percent have home broadband network only 50 so, percent yeah well this is you know you're talking about anyone 65 and older so it could be 80s 90s okay yeah so what they're suggesting is maybe get uh, your your um, senior uh, your parent your grandparent um, your friend maybe get them a tablet and uh, show them how to use it and uh, the, the the recommendation is a tablet over a laptop because they're easier to use and they're lighter so easier to hold got it my mom has a tablet yeah, this yeah. is we're we're just learning everything about the Yells family. <laughs> you got the, the whole the whole ball away. Yeah, dad's uh, got a smartphone. Mom's you, got a you tablet. Could, you, could, <laughs> you could also just uh, everything down the list. Oh yeah, my mom's got that too. It says I didn't know about this. You could you could consider a technical support service like Bask B A S K. Never heard of it. Starting at fifteen dollars a month. We need that at Pure Financial Advisors. We do. Well, we need the other one called Nerds on Call. All right. But sessions cost between $99 and $229. Or you can hire a local tutor. Right? (laughs) So uh, staying healthy and happy. How about uh, getting your uh, your, um, parent, grandparent, getting a meal plan? Costs from $100 to $300 a month. These include South Beach diet, diet on the go, Nutrisystem, Weight Watchers. Get them healthy, yeah. So they can live and enjoy their uh, their lifestyle. Their, their tablets and smartphones. And tablets. When they uh, when they start thinking about going on a trip, when it get them a just buy them an eighty dollar lifetime senior pass for Americans National Parks, which allows them to go into any national park for the rest of their life. It's a one time fee. That actually is a great tip for people that want to see America's. Uh, uh, Jewels, what, Na- do you national ha- parks. Do you have to... Um, have to be what, 65, I 65 think. Or maybe it's 60. I think it's 60, come to think of it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they talk about services for... Um, if you take medication, there's, there's, um, there's, a, there's a company called PillPack that will sort medica- medications into daily dosage. And they also have people that will check up on you, make sure you're taking the pills you're supposed to take. <laughs> They've got they got companies that that they have companions that will accompany travelers on a trip, like they're getting on an airplane nowadays is is quite an event. And if you're in your 80s, you may not know you got to take off your shoes and so it's your like belt. A, a my buddy, a my buddy, yeah. But yeah. it but it's a human for older people. Yeah, right. Remember the doll, my buddy. Probably not. No, <laughs> I, why would I know that? See, Jeb knows. It's the song, my buddy. My buddy, you forget. I'm wherever in a, I'm he in goes. A, I'm in a di- I go. I'm in a different generation than the two of you. Jeez. The Freebird Club is an Airbnb style service geared for people over fifty. So that's me. <laughs> Members of this program stay with each other on trips, so they can companion. Right? Got it. Yep. So anyway, that's all I got. I give that a, a D plus. That was that was great. <laughs> Journalism. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're if you're interested, go to Market Watch. You can see the whole darn list. You know what? We'll probably have it on our w- website. I think so. You know, we right usually there, we right? usually link them to my lists. Yeah, on our podcast. But aren't you pleased that I got away from ten things? To yes, do, that was that, yeah. That, that was a that was a struggle. You absolutely. <laughs> that was a struggle for you. Yeah, because they didn't have a number. <laughs> 
We do have a number. It's 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. Use it whenever you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al, and they can answer it for you live on Your Money, Your Wealth. That number again is 888-994-6257. Of course, the fellows are always willing to answer your email questions as well. Just email info at purefinancial.com or send them directly to joe.anderson at purefinancial.com or ellen.clopine at purefinancial.com. This is uh, George from Carlsbad. Okay. I'm 43, wife 47. I could buy a 1 million 20-year term policy for both of us Annual premium of twenty one hundred bucks for only a thousand dollars more. I can get a million dollar thirty year term. Wife a one million twenty year term in ten thousand for my two children. It would have a conversion privilege with no health questionnaire anytime in the next twenty years. I could exercise that conversion right to a permanent policy or could add an LTC rider to provide long-term care coverage. We currently have $500,000 each. What are your thoughts on life insurance? My youngest child is 12. Okay. Well, you lost me in some of the numbers, but um, but I'll, I'll talk generally. I think uh, age 43, you have children. I don't know if... He's saying he, he, he's looking at a million-dollar policy mm-hmm. for him and his wife. Yeah. 20 years, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. And then looking at certain premiums. Yeah, so I I would say, at least the way I would probably look at life insurance in his case is to ensure his or and or her income during their working years, right? And if they're planning on working to 65, just which is roughly 20 years, then a 20-year policy might be enough. On the other hand, if uh, there may be reasons to do a 30-year policy, maybe you just got a 30-year mortgage and you're concerned that, if something happens even after 20 years and your spouse, you'd like to have that paid off. I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. But I guess one of the biggest things I would say is I'm a, I'm a fan of term insurance, which is a lot cheaper. I'm not a huge fan of permanent insurance, which is a lot more expensive. Well, it's more expensive up front, but it could be cheaper if you needed it down the road. Because with a term policy, it's just for a specific period of time, and then it expires, 10-year, right. 20-year, 30-year. And most people don't die with a term policy. That's true. Right? Because they either let it lapse, um, just stop paying the premiums because they, they feel they don't need it anymore. Right. Um, or they, they the, the term expires, and they don't renew it because now it's 10, 20 years later. And it's too and the, expensive. The, the, it's way too expensive. Yeah, I agree with that. So a permanent policy, the premiums is a level premium. And, but it's permanent. You will, in most cases, you're going to die with that policy because you're building up cash value within the policy, and that cash value then helps pay for the premium. So you look at, and I agree with you, Al. I'm I'm a bigger fan of term versus permanent, unless you have a permanent need. True. Like like for example, maybe you've decided to do some estate planning, and you put a big asset in a charitable remainder trust, which means when you pass away, it goes to charity. But you want to make sure the kids have, you know, basically the asset that was lost coming to them in another form, which could be a permanent life insurance policy. But forty-three and forty-seven, I'm, I wouldn't imagine that that's probably their case. I don't think so but either. I'm thinking permanent need would be um, special needs child. Sure. Right. So there's going to be some sort of level of cash that would be needed for that child, 
um, when you're gone. Yeah. And so, although I'd still rather buy a term policy and then do my own investments. That's sure. what I'd prefer to do. Yeah. And the reason is because insurance companies tend to have pretty high internal costs. Yeah, but it's all leveraged, though. Right, sure. so you have to take a look at the internal rate of return. That's true, right? Yeah. So you could say, uh, and then here's Al's argument, and I'm not disagreeing with him. He's saying, all right, well, I'm going to have a cheaper premium, but I'm going to take that difference and I'm going to in- invest the difference, right? Buy term, invest the difference, mm-hmm. and then all right. So then when I pass away, I have investments that could take care of the need of the child. You have to look at the internal rate of return because let's say if I'm in a permanent policy, Al's got a, a term policy and then invest the difference. And if he doesn't die within that term policy time frame, 20 mm-hmm. years, let's say. Right. But he saved X amount of dollars throughout because he didn't have a larger premium that to, to put in the insurance policy. And then now he's got this bag of money, then the child can have the bag of money. All right, well, what rate of return are you generating and things like that? Mm-hmm. In a permanent life insurance policy, you're buying it for the death benefit for the child, period. That's what you're doing. So then you look at, because that's a guaranteed rate of return of some sort. Right. So if I die within two years, my rate of return is going to be 12,000%. Sure, and if, if you live to 100, it's a pretty low It could rate be 2%. Yeah, right. But it's still a guarantee, and that, be- and that benefit would go to the child tax-free. Sure. So then you look at the tax. Well, they would get a step up in basis, I guess, in, 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 yeah. in your example. Now, now a, a flaw with my example is that you really have to save the difference. Exactly. And, and a lot of people spend it. Of course. Right? And that's, that, that can be a problem. But I think if you, if you work out the numbers, I think in more cases than that, I'll go out on a limb and say you're better off with a term policy and investing the difference than a permanent policy. In what scenario? In, in in all the, scenarios? No, not in all scenarios. In but in the most common scenarios, sure. sure. If, I, if which is to like, I'm making a presumption here, but husband and wife are insuring their income for their working years, yeah. which is probably twenty years. Sure. Yeah, like in a normal standard situation, they right. don't have a permanent need, so they should buy term insurance. Yeah. Well, do you have do you have life insurance yourself? Yeah. Uh huh. Term or permanent? Up uh, term. Term. Yeah, for me, sure. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So I don't have a special needs child, or <laughs> I, you know, I don't have a huge estate that I need to pass wealth on, yeah, or my, you know, things think, like that. I think my term insurance goes through age sixty-eight. Yeah. Oh well. Then we also I have two policies. We yeah, have we one, have something um, at work. Too. Yeah, work. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't um, counting that. And then, but, yeah, but one, have, one you're actually paying for. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, Ruthie's my beneficiary. Got it. Just in case. Just, you know? just, just in case. Just something in case happens I, something happens. She's, she's, she's set. She's counting on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but it, the, the bigger question, be, I, I think what we're missing here is, well, how much do they need? Right, true. So he's assuming mm-hmm. he needs a million dollars. Right. I think that's probably way too low at 43 years old and you got a 12-year-old <laughs> child. Yeah, me too. I, I would say you might you might take your... You look at your need, right? And so, if if it's you're making a hundred thousand a year, and and for twenty years, that's two million. So maybe that's the number. Now, sure. Now it's a little more complicated. You might want to take a present value and do some other calculations, but that would be it, it's it's kind of what are you trying to insure for? Right. Right. Now, if it's maybe it's it's I want to insure my income for the next twenty years, and I want extra to pay off the the mortgage. Okay. Well, then that's fine too. So maybe you get. Two million plus five hundred thousand. Right. Well, and then you got to look at your financial goals. Right. Is that all right? Well, here I, I want to retire at some point, or my spouse needs to continue her lifestyle. Um, we have kids; they want yeah. they need to go to school, and so my income 
was going, you know, combined income. Let's say if I was married, then the spouse and I, all right, we're saving money to our 401k plans, Roth plans, 529 plans and everything else. And then I get hit by a bus. Well, then my income is totally gone, but also, you know, all the savings and everything else. Now she can't save as much because then she's got to make that income stretch because we got kids. Right. And so that there's a lot of other variables. That's true. And, yeah. and I think most people are significantly underinsured yes, in their uh, 30s and 40s and probably 50s. Um, right. right. You know, what, what about this? Because this comes up. You get a mortgage uh-huh. and then you start getting things in the mail. Oh, my Mor- God. Mortgage insurance. Right, you die, so then this this the pay off your mortgage. Right, you, you a fan of that? I don't think so. No, I don't even know any of those names. I want to want to go with a AAA rated insurance company. It's like Bob's Insurance. <laughs> Who the hell's Bob, and is he going to be around when, when I well, die? And I I uh, I've looked. I, I'm not an expert in this, so so take this with a grain of salt, I guess. But when I have looked at these kinds of things. The cost for the mortgage insurance was way higher than just a life insurance policy, a term life insurance policy. Sure. So I'd rather just increase my term life insurance to cover that, too. Hey, a question for you. This is, I don't know. I'm just going to ask you a personal question. I got something in the okay. mail. Yes. And it's from the, um, from the IRS? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, not this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> insuring like the water pipes under your home. Oh, yeah. I get this, too. Do you, $3 do a month. Yeah. It could cost you hundreds of thousands if that thing bursts at any time. It's like I was like freaking out. I was like, well, well the letter I got said it might cost you 3000 Oh, really? And I said, forget it. I can cover that if okay. I need to. <laughs> well, I, I, I maybe, was, it was, maybe it was 5000 I don't know. But it wasn't. It, it wasn't a couple hundred grand? No, it wasn't that much. Oh. Yeah. All right. So. And it probably happens, what, once every <laughs> What? Probably when you're out in your yard trying to plant an avocado tree and you hit the water. Right. Water. Yeah, you're building a pool on your own. Yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got the backhoe out there. You didn't survey anything. The water pipe goes down. You hit the you hit the gas line. Your house burns down. Whoops, sorry. I just wanted a nice indoor you know, yeah, just, just some jacuzzi. All right. That's it for us. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We'll see you again here uh, next Next week, show's called Your Money or Wealth. So to recap today's show, it looks like tax reform is going to affect your ability to do Roth recharacterizations for 2017, and it's going to affect a lot of other stuff too. So call 888-994-6257-ASAP to make an appointment before the end of the year to discuss your personal financial situation. Hiring a decluttering service, a handyman, a technical support service, or a travel companion can improve the quality of life for the senior in your life and so can spending time with them yourself whenever possible. And if your name is Bob and you sell water pipe insurance, don't expect to hear from Joe or Al, or any listeners of Your Money, Your Wealth for that matter. Special thanks to our guest, Peter Hug from Kitco. For more information about buying or selling gold and silver, visit kitco.com. That's K-I-T-C-O.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast 
and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Your Money, Your Wealth opening song Motown Gold by Carl James Pestka is licensed under a Creative Commons license.